Welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Here's a sample of what's ahead. You know, it's a twin pregnancy. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't kind of small. <laughs> you could definitely tell I was pregnant. And to a lot of people, I looked further maybe along in terms of months than I was because there's two in there. Um, and generally people were super positive, but there were a few comments and there were definitely, there was definitely um, a discussion around safety. In this episode, I speak with adventure lover and event organiser, Hetty Key. Hetty recently gave birth to twin girls, and here she shares her journey of balancing gravel ride biking through pregnancy. I wanted to know, is there conflicting advice out there on how women should approach this? What are the myths, and how important were the outdoors for her through her own pregnancy? She shares her learnings on listening to yourself and striking a balance, something perhaps she ignored in the past, as someone continually pushing themselves in gruelling, enduring events. Where adventure sport is a big part of a new mother's identity, how do they view themselves? And what does the change mean? We spoke about the importance of community and friendship and the fear of isolation, not just for new mothers, but for many people working in the new normal virtual world who lack that human-to-human interaction. Hetty talks about the supportive ethos of the Gravel Grand group she helped set up, as well as the buzz she gets from organising initiatives that have helped create spaces for others to thrive, such as Women in Adventure and the Women's Trad Festival. Hetty is thoughtful and insightful. Great to see you again, Hetty. Thank you very much for having me on. It's great to be a part of it. Yeah, fantastic. So I know you're... um, You've had some uh, big news recently. Tell us about that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm actually, I have just had twins. Um, literally, uh, they are just under three weeks old, so very new. And so I, I'm a little bit sleep deprived, but I'm delighted to be here and chatting uh, chatting to you and having, yeah, uh, an, an adult, a grown-up conversation. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, what, what are their names? How exciting. Uh, so they're called Annabelle and Florence, or Annie and Flo, Um and yeah, they they arrived a little bit earlier than expected, so they are still quite small, um, but they're doing really well, and I'm absolutely loving getting to know them and um, yeah, working out how how to be a mum. Yeah, it's, it's all new, and I definitely don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's good. Well, I know you. I know you're a lady that likes an adventure, so maybe you're just viewing this as an even bigger adventure. Yeah, definitely. I think there's. Um, I was actually talking to a friend the other day and there's definitely some overlap from the kind of uh longer endurance challenges uh that <laughs> I don't know whether it's whether it's down to like getting getting your food right and having sort of snacks to hand that keep you going or, or coping with the, the sleep deprivation there's certainly a there's certainly a bit of at least I've done a little bit of practicing on that front looking after yourself yeah yeah all right well listen let's it'd be great to get some tips on your experience of, of of the pregnancy and then any plans you have in the future but I want to take it a little bit back uh a little bit back so people might not have met you before um I know you're a passionate cyclist what other things do you like to do I I'm a jack of all trades I absolutely I love things that involve trying hard and going a long way so um endurance is my is my thing whether that's climbing, particularly trad climbing, um, mountaineering, ski touring, fell running, uh, biking, off generally with the running and the cycling is pretty much all off-road. 
Um, I I love just being outside and seeing how far I can push myself and being in a beautiful landscape and trying to go go a long way. Um, that's Br- kind of what I like best. Brilliant. And I know that you're you set up or help set up the sort of peak gravel gang. Tell me yeah. a little bit about that. So, I mean, I've never used a gravel bike. There might be people listening who don't know what we're talking about. But first of all, start with describing how is a gravel bike different to a mountain bike? So if you're thinking of, of a, a sort of picture of a bike in your head, a gravel bike, in terms of its shape, looks a little bit more like a road bike um, in terms of the fact it doesn't have suspension and it has that similar kind of road-based shape. However... They're designed in a way that are really fun to ride, a little bit faster on slightly smoother off-road surfaces. Although one of the both challenges and joys of riding in the Peak District is I'd say that we we have um, quite textured gravel is the best way to put it. It's definitely on the lumpier side of things, uh, which makes it a lot of fun. Um, but there is some there is some sections that you you'll be getting off and pushing your bike as well as the lovely smooth. Um, sort of forest tracks that you imagine and is there i mean it sounds like the peak district is like a really good place for doing this sort of thing where you can be on trails uh, and then back on the road um i mean is that the case pretty much all over the uk or are some places better than others i think uh one of the beautiful things about gravel riding is you have got that flexibility to just jump on the road you can go on the forestry tracks and there is nothing to stop you trying or pushing or carrying or walking your bike on the more technical stuff and in terms of throughout the UK, I think we're spoilt for the amount of different um, different sort of types of riding we, we can do. You know, you can go up to Scotland and there is some absolutely stunning gravel that you can, you know, you're not going to go near civilization for, for hours and you can just enjoy these amazing long routes um, and big landscapes. Uh, and then on the flip of that, somewhere like the Peak District, you, you know, you can you can dip onto the off-road and, you know, there are plenty of cafes, but you can also try something a bit more technical. So I think the reason or something that drew me to this style of riding is how versatile and varied it can be. And it kind of depends, you know, what mood you're in, what you fancy. But if you want to get there on a gravel bike, you generally, and it's, you know, a loud cycle, you generally, you generally can give it a go, (laughs) which is what I love. Brilliant. And that day, you know, like in climbing, you get like tribes between the boulders and the trad climbers and the, is it a little bit like that in cycling? So you get the, you know, the guys, I'm not a hardcore cyclist at all. I'm a bit of a wimp. Even on my road bike, I go quite slowly downhill. Um, and on mountain bikes, if it's technical, I, I, I'm not that good. So I would tend to sort of, you know, carry my bike. Um, but there are loads of hardcore folk, aren't there, on the, on the sort of downhill scene with full-faced helmets. I mean, what do they think of gravel riders or is it just a completely different thing i think cycling historically definitely um can be cliquey and maybe still is in in some areas uh i think you know most people would sort of create or could see a stereotypical gravel rider um downhill you know we all whether it's down to what we wear we all wear slightly different things a little bit like on the climbing front but i think um more and more so especially when it comes to the gravel riding it's a really welcoming space um you mentioned peak gravel going earlier so that's um we're a a group of of people that love riding off road uh, primarily on gravel bikes but 
you're welcome to join on, you know, traditional mountain bike, a full sus, e-bike, you know, whatever you feel most comfortable getting out on uh, as a group, we, we welcome that. So I think um, there's definitely, there's definitely um, stereotypes as there are within, you know, bouldering, trad and sport. Um, but I'd like to think that we're a pretty friendly bunch by and large that, that don't kind of don't kick anyone out if you're not wearing the right thing. And are the uh, are the twins going to be uh, subjected to a few little bumps? Are you going to break them in gently? Have, have you actually seen people doing the gravel with pulling trailers? I mean, does that happen? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I think it's like I think when I was um, yeah getting ready for their arrival, I did more research into what sort of trailer I could attach to my bike than we did on twin prams. Um, which yeah maybe <laughs> may have been an error at the beginning but I'm really looking forward to getting out with them later and I think they've already been exposed to a few bumps if you count the kind of rides I did prior to their arrival they definitely um, they've definitely been on a few a few journeys and bumpy rides yeah, I mean, how, pregnancy. <laughs> how when did you decide to stop doing gravel riding you know what what sort of how many weeks months or did you were you riding the day before or <laughs> it's it's really interesting because I if you rewind to kind of back sort of pre pre-becoming pregnant I definitely thought that you know naively I could just head out do what I was doing just keep being exactly the same as I was it'd just be like me but with a bump on the front and it wouldn't st- in my head I was like this isn't going to stop me doing anything I'm just going to keep going and I had really high expectations of myself and what I'd be able to do physically I think I'd planned to do, you know, the Badger Divide at kind of seven or eight months. This was before I knew it was twins. Um, And I was kind of floored at the beginning because I got I got really bad morning sickness um, and I was knackered. And all of a sudden, something that I just expected that I was going to do, because I I, I was like, I really I believe that being active in pregnancy is really important. Um, It's a huge part of my identity. I suddenly was like, oh, actually, I, I need to like lie down and be relatively near a, near the toilet <laughs> so for quite a long bit uh, you know the first bit of pregnancy which definitely that that was a real challenge mentally like managing my own expectations um I was lucky enough that after I'd kind of got over that initial or well, it's quite long but after I got over that patch I was able to get out on the bike again but in a very different way to what I imagined in the sense that instead of this now being about me you know, really pushing myself, testing my limits, this was about headspace. And like, could I go out and kind of assess what I felt I could do that day? And some days that might be, you know, I, I kept riding off road. Um, some days that might have been slightly more technical things and other days that might have been a more gentle poodle, but trying to reframe this, you know, I'm going out to try hard instead of I'm going out for the headspace and I'm going to really enjoy the fact I can get out and be active. Um, was a real shift and then the other thing I did was um, at about uh, I think it was like 18 weeks ish I, I was lucky enough to be able to get an e-bike to ride and that made a massive difference because um, it meant that I could keep riding for longer so I rode up to I think it was about seven months but then <laughs> sort of space size just the the geometry of a gravel bike and also my butt like my body it was saying that's you know that's that's probably enough for now um 
And it was a real exercise. The whole thing was a real exercise in learning to listen to myself, um, which is maybe not something I've been brilliant at before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you know, trying hard, going further, all that kind of thing. And do you think like, I guess at some level, there's not only how you felt that you are starting to think that, yeah, you, you, you have some responsibility. I don't know if that's the right word. And how much of that was just coming from you society I mean I don't know your partner or I, I don't know it's like a, a picture there yeah it's it's fascinating because you definitely I would have to say by and large I got so much positive feedback for being out on my bike when people saw me pregnant and especially in the kind of later months like you know it's a twin pregnancy I wasn't uh I wasn't kind of small <laughs> you could definitely tell I was pregnant and to a lot of people I looked further maybe along in terms of months than I was because there's two in there um, and generally people were super positive, but there were a few comments and there were definitely, there was definitely um, a discussion around safety. But I think for me, what I did is I, I looked at my comfort zone and I looked at kind of where that ends and essentially dialed back a few steps from that. So if I felt there was, you know, something that I could ride really easily and it was very much within my comfort zone, I kept riding it, even if it was off road, even if it was kind of maybe outwardly to someone that didn't cycle higher risk, because for me, that felt very comfortable. Um, and that varied. Not every day was the same. You know, I didn't, you know, there's some days where I felt like I wanted to be more mindful um, and more kind of gentle. And there were other days where I felt really bold and really confident. Um, but when in doubt, I just jumped off and walked it there's enough beautiful riding to be done in between um so yeah just keeping it well within my comfort zone worked for me and um, I know um people that climb, uh, continue to climb late into the pregnancy again that's a mm. very individual choice and uh they probably might come under the spotlight from some people mm. as well but I know a lot of them would just carry on but maybe start top roping towards the end and I guess in both cases it's about the worry would be a fall wouldn't it or to a you know an outsider yeah. that's the thing in your mind how might that affect something so as long as you're you feel like you've got that it sounds like you felt like you've got a healthy margin of safety yeah, and, definitely yeah and it seems like I think um it seems like having the electric bike for example on the uphills um instead of sort of cranking the pedals and putting a load of effort in that actually when in pregnancy you've got you know lisa ligaments and and everything is moving around instead of putting a lot of strain through your body having the electric bike for me meant that i wasn't doing that so i'd kind of got this extra assistance and then likewise on the down i was never i the biggest thing i probably did was was drop the pace so i was never going at a, pace, a speed where i couldn't sort of say hey actually um i'm not feeling this today or that looks that looks like anything that was a potential fool's risk became um you know I'd, I'd get off and walk or I'd put my foot down or I'd, I'd stop and reassess because this is a period of time where I can't ride sort of the gnarly technical stuff or I choose I've chosen not to ride the the, the gnarly technical stuff it doesn't mean I can't ride it in the future um and there's I really believe there's lots of different ways of getting out and everyone is different um and do you think so, there is conflicting advice out there for to to to, to sort of, um, you know, women that are pregnant generally? Or did you did you? It's not like you reached out um, 
I was amazed. I, I felt like I had so much support um, from other mums online and or, or pregnant women online, to, especially through sort of social media, which was amazing because there's definitely there is definitely kind of I don't know if the right words conflicting advice, but there are there are two quite strong trains of thought. Uh, one of which is you know it's you should it's it's dangerous um, and you know a fall would be in which in yes it would but it is all about risk management and your comfort zones so there's that train of thought of like you know you should get it get, go and lie in bed and, and leave it there and, and stay as still as you can or you know not be active and there's definitely kind of a camp there but there is on the other side there are everyone's pregnancy is different some people feel wonderful and they feel absolutely amazing and they you know yes or they have hard patches but they um are able to achieve I've got friends that have achieved amazing things really inspiring um and they felt really good on the flip of that you can feel there are months or you know there are patches and for some people all of pregnancy can feel really hard so actually there's kind of in addition to this you know don't take risks don't do anything there is a group that's like you can do anything which is incredible but I think there's a middle ground of working out how you feel and what's comfortable for you and I definitely had gone in in that kind of like I can do anything <laughs> like I'm just gonna keep going and be exactly the same and, and that was a definite like I had to I had to sort of re um re-picture what pregnancy looked like for me and I, I know it was naive going in thinking I could do like I can do anything but I think there is definitely a like middle ground of being kind to yourself uh, working out what's feasible and also what feels comfortable for you at where you're at in that moment and not maybe comparing to others because it's super easy to look at social media and think oh there are so many people out there doing all these incredible things while they're pregnant and I have sat on the sofa and eaten you know eaten my snack of choice <laughs> all day so I think there's a middle ground and presumably for you a big part of getting out with yeah like you say the headspace and just I would imagine being part of that community the people that you normally see in the outdoors um you know definitely it's um you know it's my social life it's my headspace it's you know what I do when I want to kind of calm down or it's what I do when I want to bring more joy into my life so it's 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 everything so it was very um there was a definite sort of hard patch when I couldn't get out in the way I'd initially thought and I had to sort of re rework that um because yeah things like peak gravel going and and heading out with my friends it's it's a huge part of my life and I think for a lot of women it's also part of our identity um and how we see ourselves and so it's you know that that shifts a lot um or did for me when when you become pregnant and you're you know thinking about your identity and who you are and maybe the life you're going to have once once kids or kid is here so there's a huge amount with identity as well that's great so looking ahead um you know how is it I guess there's the near term isn't there and then sort of beyond as they get yeah. older I, 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 I would just imagine it's it's, it's very full-on right now just... <laughs> it is pretty full-on right now <laughs> there's definitely uh, not much bike riding happening at the minute um it's yeah pretty pretty uh chaotic as I work out how to manage two newborns but I do have exciting plans both for me and for them that um involve the outdoors and go on then let us in <laughs> So I, I can't wait to go. I, I can't wait to get them in a trailer. And I definitely 
I've got a long-term goal and this is when they're ready not you know I, I don't know if I can predict when this is and again I, I'm aware I'm so I'm super naive I'd love to do a bikepacking trip um with them preferably outside of the UK but I'd love to kind of do a multi-day trip in the style that um I I kind of am used to distance is smaller um I'd love to do that with with them um and see how see how it went but I think I imagine there's going to be a lot of stuff <laughs> and would you do uh as a family you and your partner I know so we have a trailer each is that how it works <gasps> So I think, <laughs> no, at the minute, the current train of thought is that there'd probably be a trainer with them both in. They, they quite like being next to each other slash near each other. Um, yeah. And then probably a trailer for the amount of stuff they need <laughs> or the tent yeah. or the, because yeah. I'm not sure, like, I don't, yeah, I think Vivi might be a bit of a challenge. We probably, yeah. probably definitely need some shelter there. And um, I'm imagining that towing those two once they're a bit bigger, we're going to need a good amount of food as well. Um, so I think there'll probably be like, yeah, two trailers, but one will be filled with stuff and the other one will be carrying them. Brilliant. On the cycling theme, um, I know you, you, you helped set up this, this climate relay. That's quite, yes. is that, that's a while ago. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause I know there were lots of people involved in that and, and kids as well. Yeah. So back in September, I was, I did the logistics for a massive event called running out of time. We started in Glasgow, which was the home of COP26, and we travelled on foot and by bike, all human-powered, to Egypt, which was where COP27 was in November. The whole route was entirely human-powered, broken up into 10k sections, and the idea was that a baton, um, in which there was a message from thousands of young people, was being carried to Egypt, going going through 18 different countries, And as we went through all the different areas and all the different countries, local people uh, showed up and and ran or cycled their 10K. So it was absolutely phenomenal. We had uh, tens of thousands of people take part. And we also, um, we engaged loads of different schools, not only on the route, but all over the world and had um, just under a million young, uh, young people get involved. So by the time it got to Egypt, there was a huge amount of momentum behind it. And, um, you know, along the way, we... We crossed glaciers. We we on our water crossings were absolutely epic. For example, the Channel, um, we rode out in some of the roughest seas. Uh, an amazing young woman called Maddie rode out, handed the baton to an ocean ocean racing boat, who then sailed the baton to the coast um, of France, where um, a fourteen year old. Uh, I think the French 14-year-old windsurfing champion picked it up uh, and she windsurfed it in and it was then run on through all the different countries. Yeah, went over a glacier um, with more snow than you'd expect for this time of year, which I think in itself just, you know, was hugely linked to the whole cause of climate change. And then, you know, we crossed lakes, got through to Greece and then we had to sail uh, sail from Greece to... um, Cyprus and then from Cyprus on to Israel uh, all without using fossil fuels so it was it was pretty epic <laughs> it sounds yeah I mean uh, logistically I think the trip with the twins is going to be okay compared to this organizing that <laughs> this sounds like yeah. I really, I really were there any blips so. it sounds like there was so much that could go wrong just people not being on time or I mean it just sounds 
like a major logistical nightmare. There were certainly challenges. And I think one thing I didn't mention is this is 24-7. So from the moment that that baton started moving in Glasgow, it didn't stop until it was in Egypt. Um, so How long did it take? What was the timeline? 42 days, um, I think, from memory. My brain's gone a bit fuzzy there, but about 42 days um, of continuous movement. I think there were... Behind the you know behind the scenes there were there were so many challenges. Um, whether it was, for example, you know, ensuring we had the right visas for our support crew, or working out how we transport the support crew's bikes, or you know, a runner having to drop out at three in the morning, last minute, saying I can't do this. But each time, the power of people and the kind of the belief and excitement and passion behind what we're doing meant that it, it it always kind of it always seemed to work out whether we had someone volunteering literally at, at midnight saying actually you know what I'll run at 2am I have randomly seen that you need a baton carrier on social media I'll show up I'll just stay up um or whether it was you know for example the the sailing crews volunteering their time um and their boats to do this um or, for example, in Egypt, really near the end, we got stopped by the um, by the authorities, and they said you can't you can't run or cycle this any further. You know, you're not you're not allowed. And this is so close to Sharm El Sheikh, and we're like, no, we're so close. And um, just as we thought there was, you know, no hope, um, about 150 cyclists, Egyptian cyclists, show up on their bikes, and they're like, we're here to ride in with the baton. And I think just the power of people just meant that they were like, yeah, sure, wow. go, <laughs> like, write it in. Um, so it, it it was incredible, very stressful, because <laughs> this was all alongside, um, you know, basically just finding out I was pregnant and then midway through finding out it was twins. So I was uh, had, a, had a lot on my plate, but I absolutely, I'm so proud of what we managed to achieve with the relay. And it was, you know, a once in a lifetime experience to just be able to make that happen and um, to connect with so many people from so many different backgrounds. And they all had that sense of purpose, I guess, and passion that that's probably why it was successful. Yeah. And it was, you know, you had sort of, we had the president of Slovenia take part. We had, you know, young kids, we had just everyone it was so varied and what was brilliant is that if you're showing up to run your stage or 10k like there was this real sense of it didn't matter you know where you were coming from what what you what you believed in outside of this that common thread of wanting to make a difference and wanting to really be heard when it comes to climate change just brought everyone together and gave them that common that common ground you know you're you're clearly uh a lady that likes a challenge you know you like to push yourself and, if yeah. that, and, and, and as well as doing you know the big biking adventures and things like that you 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 you're obviously part of your work now is organizing events I mean that was one yeah. example but you you know have you always wanted to work in that space or always been involved how did it come about um, you know organizing events I so my my work alongside the events I do a lot of research into um how we can better help people get outdoors or access sport um especially around inclusivity and diversity I think for me I've just I've always been really like I love 
what I do. I, I feel so lucky to be able to, it sounds cheesy, but, you know, to be able to do the riding I do, to be able to go out climbing and, and see these views and go to these places. And I think the drive to organise these events and that the passion partly comes from just a, a real desire to to open these doors for the people and to kind of, I love enthusing about what I do and I love even more showing people and giving them that experience and you know there's nothing better than saying oh my gosh isn't it amazing didn't I tell you how wonderful is this like I to be able to open those doors and create spaces where people can experience this or things like this is a huge driver for me and um alongside that I think I'm a bit of a like I'm a data geek I love a spreadsheet I really like I love logistics you know to a lot of people especially like the relay, it sound, it can sound like complete hell to a lot of people, but actually I kind of thrive on that stuff. And So you, you like know, a good, you like a spreadsheet. You like to I do like know, a spreadsheet, project management. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just like, I like the challenge and I, you know, it's whether it's route planning or actually being out on a long, you know, a long bikepacking trip or doing kind of an endurance race, it's that same headspace of this feels a little bit impossible. And when I look at the whole thing, this just feels like a, you know more than I could do but actually how can I break this down how can I take this in small chunks and achieve something that just feels really far out at the beginning you know whether it's you know like the events or whether it's on my bike it I think there's quite a lot of similarity in a weird way yeah and who who are the who are the people that you're trying to reach that maybe there's sort of like and how do you reach them so it's sort of a I would imagine it can be tricky if you're sort of trying to encourage a certain group, let's say, into the outdoors because typically they don't. And it's a, you know, where do you find them? How do you? Yeah, it's 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 definitely tricky because especially um, for those underrepresented in the outdoors, it's really hard. If you if you can't see it, it's really hard to be it. Um, representation is really really important, and I know it's talked about a lot, especially when it comes to role models. Because for a lot of folk, if, you know, for example, if you've never been mountaineering, your experience of that is what you read in books, is what you see maybe on the TV, is what you see on social media. You, you know, how would you know it looked any different? If you're not seeing people like you there, how would you know, how would you know it's different? You've not done it before. So yeah, connecting with those people is, is a challenge. But I think the way to do it is to listen to what's needed um and to also try and reach out to communities on a grassroots level and people that are you know really helping you know working together working collaboratively finding those community leaders and saying let's do this together let's work together on this can you give us an example from whether it's getting people out on bikes or climbing or into the outdoors from a from one of these groups yeah absolutely so for example on tradfest women's trad festival uh, every year uh, we have a ballot because um, our tickets were selling out just in the blink of an eye. And it was it was really inaccessible because if you didn't have a fast Internet connection or, you know, you, your children pick that moment to, to need you to do something, you'd miss out on a ticket. So moving to a ballot system within that, we ask everyone that comes, what are your mental, physical and financial needs? If you know you don't have to put them, but if you have needs, you can put them there. And what from that, what we can do is when that's drawn in the ballot or when you're drawing the ballot, we can then make sure that, that what you need is in place. So that's, you know, on an individual level, making sure that we're bringing um, 
we're making our event as accessible as we can for those individuals. Then alongside that, kind of looking more to the community side of things, throughout the year uh, through the festival, we run something called Climbers Like Me, which is a photo series where we um, we share the stories of climbers in our community that maybe are less represented or um, want their story to be told. And something we do each year is we work with the people who featured within Climbers Like Me over that time period. And we work together to see not only if they want to come to the event, but maybe see who else they feel maybe might not have heard of the event and would like to come or someone that that wouldn't have put themselves forward for this um, without a little nudge. So I think there's so many different ways of connecting with communities, whether it's going to them directly, whether it's working on that more one-on-one basis. And it's hard to do all of them, but at the same time, making that start and and trying just to reach more people each time um, is really important. Do you think lockdown has made a difference in terms of, you know, like I say, you know, you live in a national park. Have you, have you seen it? you know, more diverse groups of people coming out, say just walking? I think especially on the bike and also on like walking on foot, I think lockdown made us all appreciate our green spaces. And definitely, I know from a cycling perspective, a lot of people dusted off various bikes out of the garage or resurrected, you know, bikes from years ago. And I think one of the most exciting thing to me is that people are still riding them or you know thinking about upgrading them and that that you know covid and lockdown had a huge amount of negative like you know i don't need to kind of go into all the negative side of it but actually for people finding green spaces and being active in those spaces i think it was really like i think overall it was really positive on that front it's interesting as well because it's led to you know for, for not for everybody for a lot of people sort of the hybrid working virtual working which you know depends on your role can mean that you spend a lot of time in front of a screen and you're sort of quite mm. isolated but i guess depending on where you live you might have less commuting which might give you more time to get outside or but maybe you've got to be more disciplined and force yourself to to get out what's your take on that I think it's really interesting what you say about like isolation with people working more from home, more sort of by themselves. And that's definitely within within the various sort of groups and sort of social riding I do. People are, I think, people really, really want those spaces. People really want to have groups and pe- other, other folk to ride with that are like them. And I think, I definitely think that that plays into it. The fact that we're, you know, a lot of the time when we're working, if we are virtual, we, we're not having that human to human interaction in person. And so to have the opportunity to go and you know ride with other people, chat, go to a cafe is really important because we, you know, we're social beings. And one thing we're really passionate about with Gravel Gang is there are six days of the week to go and ride fast. You can go and try really hard on those six of the days, but when you're riding with the group, we ride as a group. We ride, you know, we ride at the pace of the service rider. We don't leave anyone behind. We're about social riding. If you can't have a chat whilst you're going along, we're going too fast. And um, we try and vary sort of where within the Peak District we ride. We also try and, well, we have three rides a month and the kind of first ride of the month is any bike will do. You know, turn up on what you've got. Super, you know, super relaxed, super easy, not too far. Second ride is a, a little bit harder and bumpier. 
and then third is a step up again but still even on that third ride you know we ride at as a group and if that means we're out longer then we're out longer this is this is about connecting with other people and sharing sharing something you love doing taking the ego out of it a hundred percent there's you know you i don't think fun and ego are particularly <laughs> compatible so um you know we're a group you you get so much from riding with and listening to other people's stories whether it's how they got into cycling or just even like oh like everyone everyone's got interesting things to say and if you ride with them long enough and, and not not at a pace where you can talk it's it's great and you learn you learn so much so two questions i've got for you so have you have you been back out with the gravel bike gang or is that something that's you're building up to so at the minute, I'm like itching to get on the bike, but um, I had a C-section, so I'm still I'm still recovering from Hear that. What you're saying, yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm really really looking forward to getting on the bike, but I'm taking oh. my time because yeah. I don't want to have to rehab. I don't want to cause an injury and then have to rehab more. I know I've got my work cut out to get back to my fit old kind of my previous fitness, so. I think my first attempt will probably be next month in um or for you know purpose around June. Um and I really hope to do a little bit of the ride and maybe end up at the cafe. Um and then Very build important. from there. <laughs> but I've definitely I've got alongside my goals to head out with the twins, I've also got goals for myself and I think it's really important to keep them. Um and I really hope to keep them. Um because I still have my own ambitions when it comes to cycling as well as my ambitions for our family. Absolutely. And e-bikes, where did they fit in? Cause you know, it's funny. I've got, um, you know, when you, when I first heard of them, you sort of think, Oh, you know, e-bikes is that cheat and whatever. And then a friend of mine who, uh, one of the greatest alpinists in the world uh, over in Slovenia, Marco Prezel, and he was joking. He was saying, you know, all that over the years in the mountaineering world, we sort of never use fixed ropes or, uh, oxygen sherpas and then he hurt his shoulder and he got an e-bike and he said oh i'm absolutely loving it because he was able to do i mean he, he could do big days anyway but now he's doing like incredibly big days on the e-bike and i just wondered what your thoughts are around that um i think there is how stigma. it fits in yeah, yeah there, there's definite stigma like oh i've i have heard that like i mean i got that comment of, like literally seven months pregnant be like oh like for, admittedly the, the cyclist saying it was behind me um and they were like oh e-bikes are cheating and then they came past me and I was like uh hello <laughs> like I'm pretty sure it's seven months pregnant this is not cheating in any capacity but um I think they really open doors for people I think that by you know whether it's you're super fit already and it allows you to go even further or whether it's you know rehabbing an injury or for me you know being able to there's no way I would have stopped like I would have stopped probably around the four month mark if I didn't have um, an e-bike to keep riding. Um, and so I think that they really open up cycling. Um, of course you can, you know, you get people that maybe ride them in a way that's less sociable. Um, but I think you get that in everything. You get that without the electricity too. Um, so to me, they're a really important part of. And I'm um, imagining you're yeah, going to be pulling. When you go on one of the, some of those backpacking things, you'll have a choice to make if you're pulling the twins plus all that kit, depending on what you want to do. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think the um, it's, it's certainly going to help me initially when I'm trying to tow them. But I think as well, I've also got an ambition to be able to do it without without kind of the e-bike as well in time. Um, but 
in terms of opening that door, it's going to be a huge help because, yeah, I think they're going to be heavy when there's two of them. <laughs> and your partner, is he, is he a runner, cyclist? What's, and is, is, is he, is it, I guess, is it a bit easy for him to continue with his ambitions or? So yeah, goals? he's um, he he's a little bit like me in terms of liking all different things. And actually, uh, <laughs> I think it was like was it like a week and a half or two weeks before I actually had the twins? He ran a Bob Graham. <laughs> I should do. Nice one. <laughs> because in, in you know our conversation went well. You may as well do it. Like you may as well crack on with it now because we're going to be a little bit busy um, after they arrive. And also, um, in the same way that he really supports me when I want to do kind of a longer distance challenge, um, it kind of felt like a really good time while I kind of maybe could do less over the the kind of the months I was pregnant for him to be able to get out on those longer runs. Um, and aim towards that because it's always been a long-term goal I think what I found hard was actually when he was doing it I'd have loved to support it have supported in a way that was quite active and instead I was left filling up water bottles and uh, essentially like really hoping that that they didn't arrive (laughs) over that weekend yeah absolutely well brilliant really great to chat thanks Hetty for for taking time I know you're very busy right now no, it's been, it's been absolutely lovely to chat and I, I feel yeah. like we've covered a load of different things. It's been really interesting. No, it's been great. And uh, people can obviously keep an eye out on the channel, see how things are progressing and see what crazy adventures you get up to. Definitely. With, with the family. Definitely. Brilliant. Like, lovely to chat. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe. I look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon. Stay tuned.